SOG missions um, had a, a very high um, casualty rate. In fact, a lot of teams were inserted and never heard from again. So uh, you lost a lot of, of teammates, a lot of other um, SOG operators on a regular basis. I mean, every week some, someone was going away. Sometimes it was whole teams. Sometimes it was just one or two people. So every time you went on a SOG operation, you knew there was a very high probability that you were, you were not going to come back. So uh, I'm just going to start with, you know, I'm, I'm back from a mission and how long it is between missions depends on a lot of things, the weather being one, but you know, how many how many people on your team were wounded on the mission you just came back from? You know, were you as the one zero wounded? Uh if so, how badly were you were you injured? Uh when would you be able to go out again? Uh, and do you have enough people to take out with you? So that might delay things a, a little bit between missions, just getting some some of you guys healed back up again so you can go out. But um, at some point, relatively soon, uh, you would be called to the operations center and they would say, okay, here's your, here's your new mission. Uh, this is when you're going out. This is where you're going. And this is what you have to do when you get there. So as soon as you hear what it is that you have to do and where you're going, uh, you can feel a little jump uh, in your stress level. Uh, you get a little um, heart rate increase. Uh, and some of that, to me, you know, after the first few was kind of exhilaration. Okay, here we go again. We're getting ready to, you know, ride the big roller coaster at the, you know, Six Flags or wherever. I mean, this is gonna gonna be good. So I'm, I'm getting excited. We have a lot of things to go do. Sounds like a great mission. Um, they want me to take seven people, and go out and find a 500 man NVA battalion, and decimate them. So, you know. How hard can it be to find 500 people running around out there? So sounds like pretty easy mission. I just have to stay alive long enough to, you know, work the airstrikes and things and try to decimate them and, and get out. So uh, you're excited about that. And then, you know, so you hit a level and, and you kind of stay there in the pre-mission training, getting ready to go, getting everyone ready, getting the mission planned. Uh, and then typically the night before you were going to launch, uh, you would fly up to the launch site. So, and that was mm, 30, 40 minutes away. So we would fly the whole team up there. Uh, so we would be on site. And then, you know, once you get there, I typically felt another little jump in stress level because it's starting to get real. I mean, tomorrow at 10 o'clock or whatever the time was going to be, we're going to launch. How is this physically for you? You say you're feeling this jump in stress level. 
you know, how, what's that physically like for you? How can you f- physically identify that you're starting to feel it? You're starting to get stressed. I, I can feel that my heart rate has increased. It's beating a little faster than normal. Uh, depending on where I'm going to go and what I'm going to do, I, I might notice a difference in, you know, my blood pressure because, you know, you start to feel it uh, in your face. Um, and just being able to focus uh, is impacted some by the stress, some of the things we, we've talked about uh, previously uh, about the impact of stress. But it's, it's not to the point where it's interfering with what I'm doing. I can still write my name, I can still think, I can still carry on a conversation and ask questions, I can still remember things, but I can feel that my stress level has gone up a little bit. And it it may or may not have gone up enough that it is gonna interfere with my sleep tonight because I know what's gonna happen tomorrow. Uh, but almost without exception you know i slept pretty well at the launch site you know the night before uh even though uh, i had conversations with several of my friends on their last night uh, and you you know this may be your last night on earth this may be it tomorrow everything goes black and it's all over you know, so just having that thought in your mind that this m- might be my last night, um, you know, causes your stress level to go up a little bit. Sure. So then the next morning you get up, you eat, and there's a, a process or a procedure that you go through of conducting the last minute uh, inspection of your people. Uh, running through the mission in terms of what you're going to do, how you're going to do it, uh, asking people questions, you know, where are you on the aircraft? What position do you get off on? Where do you go? When we hit the ground, what direction? You know, just quizzing them to make sure they know exactly what it is that we plan to do, what their missions are. Um, And when you're going through that process, I could feel my stress level would go up a little bit more, uh, particularly if they were not if they were not answering questions satisfactorily. And I'm thinking, what are you doing? We've been we've been practicing for a week. I mean, you got to know this. I mean, you the, you can't get to this point and not know it because you know in an hour or two we're going to be there. Mm-hmm. So so depending on. Uh, how they responded, you know, it had an impact on the stress level. But, you know, it's still not that bad yet. Uh, we would go to the final mission briefing where all the pilots, all the different people would be there, and we'd be talking through <coughs> talking through how um, we were going to do it, all the aircraft, where they were going to be, when they were going to approach, and what was going on, anti-aircraft fire on the way out there, different things like that. That was just standard. Where I would notice a significant jump uh, in my stress level was when we would go ahead and gear up 
and you can go to the aircraft and stand by the aircraft. So now we're we're there. Sometimes we'd all go on one aircraft. Sometimes we'd be split across more than one. Um, but when you're standing there and then you hear uh, the engine start up and you hear that whine of the rotors starting to turn uh, and it's getting faster and faster and you might hear the Cobra or other gunships they're cranking up a couple hundred meters away they're getting ready to go uh, you smell the the JP4 the burnt fuel coming uh, out of the aircraft engines the downwash is starting to kick up sand and dust and it's blowing all around uh, so you you've got the sounds you've got uh, all the different smell <coughs> smells that are going on and then uh, you get the the signal to load up so I would you know tell my team to load up and then and the load up signal was locking load so you would chamber around put your safety on get on the aircraft and when you get on the aircraft the aircraft is kind of sitting there the whole thing's kind of vibrating um, so now my stress level is going up I've got all these sights sounds I'm in a three-dimensional world uh, and it's you know about to get real and the aircraft starts to vibrate more and more and then he starts to lift off the ground and you say whoa here we go uh, this is it and you know so this, I would get that you know butterflies in the stomach that jump in the stress level and off we'd go you'd feel the cool air you look down you see yourself flying across the the launch site and headed toward the uh, the jungle so um, and but I would start thinking about what do I have to do you know when we hit the ground which way we're we going what direction should the aircraft be landing when he comes in I'm also with a headset on and I'm listening to all the traffic uh, of all the aircraft so I mean there's five radios on the helicopter and they can all be operational at the same time so you're hearing everybody talk and talking over each other they're talking and you're you're trying to remember the call signs from the final mission briefing that you had you know Covey will be saying Covey so you know who Covey is you can hear him talking um, you know to the Casper there there's slicks you can hear him uh, talking to um, you know the gunships you hear all these conversations going back and forth and then typically if you were on a, an American insertion aircraft, um, the door gunners, they, they like to have um, the Armed Forces Network radio playing in the background. So on, on the way out there, you know, you got a little, you know, Credence Clearwater revival going on in the, in really? the background about running through the jungle or, or whatever the, the latest, greatest music is from the States. You're hearing that playing in the background. So on on your commute to the office, you're you're hearing, you know, all this stuff going back and forth, and yeah. you're trying to hear enough to say, you know, are they taking fire out there? Do, you know, what do things look like? Uh, man, I I like Credence. It sounds great. 
Um, <laughs> and then, you know, you see the river coming up. When you cross the river, you know you've just left Vietnam. Now you're into Laos, Cambodia, wherever it is yeah. that you're going. And you know, I didn't know the first time, but uh, I know now that once we cross that river, we're in kind of a free fire zone. And the door gunners are going to test fire their machine guns. The first time it scared me half to die. I thought we were in contact and we, you know, we just crossed the border and we're already in contact, but they're just test firing their guns. Um, that always put a little sense of mortality uh, into the scenario for me. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're firing real bullets now. You know, real people are going to get hit. It feels and, like a slingshot. You're loaded in a slingshot from uh, the moment you get off your last mission. And you're yeah. getting, and it's just yeah. coming back, and the tension's building and building. When does it climax for you? When do you get the most stressed um, before you hit the ground? Just just before. If oh. I'm, it depends on the insertion. Sometimes we'd, we'd be at 3,000 feet, and we would just auto-rotate, corkscrew in, you know, so the bottom would just fall out from under you. And you're just holding on to the aircraft if it fall as it falls, and you know before he hit the ground, he put the power back on, and you get all those g forces as it's slowing down, and and starting toward on the short final toward the LZ. And if it was wasn't a hot LZ, you know you'd be climbing out on the skids, getting ready to uh, jump off. Uh, onto the ground because you'd only have a few seconds. You know, when the aircraft got there, it was just down and he's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if it, if it's a hot LZ, it's, that's really different because once you, by the time you turn on short final, you can hear the stuff just cracking by you. It's almost like you're in a uh, popcorn popper or something and the stuff is coming by you. Uh, you see some tracers from time to time. Um, and if it's a really hot LZ, you'll hear that metallic clang every time a bullet hits yeah. the helicopter. Yeah. And you're thinking, holy cow. And they, and some missions that I went on, you know, bullets are coming through the side of the helicopter and going out the other side. Sometimes they're coming up through the floor. And, you know, I've had people wounded, you know, from the ones coming through the floor or coming through the sides. And, uh, you know, so at that point, stress level gets pretty high. And, you know, you have, to con you have to control the fear. If you can manage the fear and have respect for what's going on, but say the fear is just part of it. Now I've got to move it over here because I have things I have to do. And I have to be able to think. And I have to get off this aircraft. With all those bullets coming at me, I still have to get off the aircraft and work my way through that stuff. And if I let fear take over, then I can't get off, yeah. not with all those bullets coming at you. So you have to kind of set those aside, do what you've got to do, make sure your people are getting off the aircraft with you. Uh, if someone is wounded on the way down, you leave them on the aircraft, you know, so they get taken back. Uh, but that means now that, oh, you know, that was my point man or tail gunner or, you know, whomever. Now I'm short that person. That changes 
how the the mission is going to operate. So, to me, getting in on the helicopter uh, was the stressful part. Once I got my feet on the ground, then I felt like even if I get shot now, I just have to fall a couple of feet to the ground. If I'm in the aircraft, I've got a I've got a long way to go, and and uh, you know on one mission I did, I would, the aircraft was shot down. You know, so we fell out of the sky and crashed on the uh, landing zone. And, and when I came to, trying to figure out if I was dead or alive, um, I finally decided if I've got that many people shooting at me, kicking the dirt up all around me, trying to shoot me, they must think I'm still alive. So I'll take their word for it, but I've got to get to a place where they can't hit me. Yeah. So. So it's you know once I was on the ground, my stress level typically started to come back down, mm. uh, because now I'm touching something concrete. I can move. I feel like I have more control yeah. over what's going on, and you know moving my people around. So, I there are things that I would do like before I would get on the aircraft to depart, I would typically take a deep breath and let it out slowly while the team was loading on and I would take some deep breaths on the way out to uh, the insertion uh, LZ um, when the shooting would start if it was a hot LZ I'd you know do a lot of the box breathing uh, just to help keep my stress level down in the process um, but these are all things I'd been practicing before and building my stress resilience up so that I could manage uh, the stress that I'd be under at the time and then get on the ground and, you know, stress would go up and down during the mission depending on what we were doing and whether or not we were in contact. And then when you were finally getting out, trying to get on the aircraft without getting hit, uh, you know, and I was the... Uh, the team leader, the one zero, which meant I was the first one off the aircraft going in. Yeah. I would be the first one on the ground. Coming out, I was the last one off the ground. So I had to get everybody else on, and then I had to try to get on. And sometimes I'd be hanging onto the skid, or somebody would have a hold in my hand, and the aircraft is lifting off, you know, and the fire's coming all at it. And you know the team members are trying to pull me into the aircraft as as we're taking off. Um, so getting back onto the helicopter I, was typically a little stressful for me. Now once once we got far enough away that they were not shooting at us anymore, you know then you know the stress level started to calm down some. But I also learned you know it's not over until you're back to the compound. Just because you're on the helicopter doesn't mean it's over because there'll be other people who will shoot at you along the way. So, anyway. And then uh, you get back to the compound and yeah. you're getting back. Yeah. And then it just happens all over again. You get loaded yeah. back into that slingshot. Um, yeah, and when you, when you get back... Um, You've got such a heavy load of adrenaline, cortisol, and and various other hormones in your system. I mean, you're you're hyped. 
and that first night sometimes uh, you know your eyes are like saucers when you're trying to go to sleep because you're so wired with all those chemicals in your system um, so some nights or sometimes that first night is kind of brutal you toss and turn a lot you just can't go to sleep what do you um, do to try to mitigate uh, after the I, stressful event what I tried to do was have something to drink mm-hmm. uh, get up take some notes <clears throat> what what did I see what did I learn what can we do different next time what kind of post-mission training uh, might we need to do so I was trying to focus you know on things like that and get something on paper and I found that if I could get it out of my head and on the paper it was easier for me to get back in the bed uh, and and maybe sleep for a little while maybe not quality sleep but at least my eyes were closed and I thought I was asleep so mm-hmm. so and this then, leads you know, us perfectly perfectly <laughs> not to cut you off go ahead yeah. sorry sorry I cut you off no, go ahead I was just gonna say there's you know it's a whole process there there's things you do uh, to get your resilience up before you go out <clears throat> there are things you do uh, once you're out there involved in the stressful event uh, and then what do you do when you come back yeah. and I found and again I'm just telling you through my eyes and what worked for me I I preferred a faster turnaround schedule than a lot of people some people wanted to have plenty of time between missions to recover and whatever um, I preferred to you know once I got my feet on the ground and healed up a little bit um, I wanted to get the new mission I wanted to start planning I wanted to start thinking about the future yeah. and where I was going to go I didn't want to spend a lot of time on how close uh, the bad guys came to getting me back there outside of saying what did we as a team not perform well on uh, we need more practice for example throwing hand grenades from the prone you know we we were under so much fire you couldn't get up on your knee and throw one you had to be in the prone and and lob it but you had to get it far enough out that you didn't get hit with a shrapnel you had to make sure you didn't hit a tree out in front of you and it bounced back or you throw it uphill and it rolls back so you know i would be thinking about things like that okay so we're going to go out to the range and we're going to practice everybody's going to get on their belly and start throwing dummy hand grenades until we get ready to practice with some live ones or whatever it was that we didn't do so well on uh, you know we'll go practice i wanted to be working on that getting better and then depending on what the new mission was training to make sure we could execute whatever we had to do for the new one um, and, and that's what kind of got Lynn Black and I together. He was the same way. He didn't like to spend a lot of time, you know, in between missions. He wanted to do something. So um, the, <laughs> I, I don't know if I've told you, but there's a there's a sec there's a section in the in the book um, where Lynn and I were having a discussion. If I told you this, you didn't stop me. Where Lynn no, and no, I you haven't having... told me it. No, go ahead. Okay, Lynn and I were having a discussion um, 
as we were consuming some philosophical nectar uh, and we were talking about the similarities uh, in, uh, philosophical in how, nectar <laughs> so we just I've uh, never heard that uh, before I'm sorry I'm going Please, so, I'm sorry. So we were talking about it, and, and finally I, I said, Lynn, I tell you what, you know, the next time you and I are back here in, in camp at the same time, you get two or three of your guys, I'll get two or three of my guys, we'll go out the back gate after it gets dark, and we'll go over by Marble Mountain, and we'll set up an ambush on the trail over there. There's always going to be somebody walking down that trail at night. They would have set up an ambush and hose some people down. Um, and as we continue to, to talk, I mean, and we did that, and we continued to talk and said, why don't we try something new? I mean, these are not hardcore NVA like we hit when we're across the border. Why don't we try something new? Let's just use silenced weapons. So let's use our, our 22 pistols with an integrated silencer on it, and we'll just use the... Nobody in camp will even know we've conducted an ambush. They're not going to hear anything. And let's see if we can take these guys down with 22s. And then we graduated. Well, we could take a bigger group if we used uh, a Sten gun with an integrated silencer, and we were shooting 9 millimeters. So we were practicing a lot of different techniques and things that then we could take back and use on real missions. And, I, and early on, I suggested, why don't we call this the black, his code name was Blackjack, and mine was Dynamite. I said, why don't we call it the Black Dynamite Hunting Expeditions? And, you know, some of these staff guys that work here, I bet they would love to go out on a mission locally and be part of an ambush and have a nice story to tell when they go back. So, you know, they could come along on the, the hunting expedition and do some different things. So, anyway, we found ways to fill the gaps between missions yeah. and make it, you know, interesting. So. <laughs> I won't, I won't go further than that. It, it turns out it gets very interesting. You'll see in the book. Let's wait till the book comes out, and then yeah. you know if if, if you want to come back, we can make plenty of time for this. I'm okay. just. Uh... <laughs> I love how you. I love how you tell stories. So I can't. I can't. I can't get in the middle of it. I can't get in the way of that. <laughs> what this has done a wonderful thing, or what what this story, what this story arc here has done is it's led us into episode number three of Combat Stress. And um, if you're listening, this is part of a four-part series where uh, Mr. Dick Thompson and myself, Andrew Wheeler of ModernMilitaryHistory.com, where we get together and um, we get to hear Dick's expertise on stress. And Combat Stress has two meanings. It's teaching us how to combat stress and hopefully this will help reach some veterans who have been to combat and experienced the stress inherent therein. Just like what we heard from, from you, sir, when you were talking about the, shall we say, air quotes, typical SOG mission. And um, John Stryker Meyer imparted the, the phrase to me, another day in SOG. 
So on top of that stressful cycle, you never know what's going to happen. Something that I just want to bring up there after listening to that story is that that cycle doesn't end. There's the before, there's the during, and then the after. And then the after just turns into a before because you know it's going to happen again. And I have found that when I'm living my life, I'll be as a civilian. The it, stress doesn't stop. And if you if you put yourself in a place where um, you're trying to cordon yourself off from all stress, um, you're not moving forwards. Um, one of the reasons I'm very excited about this work we're doing with this series is that there there has been times in my life um, when I cordoned myself off because I was so stressed. I didn't want to. I couldn't handle anything else. So. I wasn't moving forward in life. So one of the reasons I really love what we're doing here is that we can reach not only people who have been to combat and people such as myself who, who are civilians. Um, so Combat Stress, this series, it has a dual meaning in the title, but it's also meant to reach both people. Am I, am I correct in that? Mm-hmm. Copy that. Exactly. Copy that. Um, before we get too far... As always, if you've listened to the other episodes of our podcast series, uh, episode number one, the introduction, and episode number two, uh, Before Stress, where we go into detail about you know what to do before the stressful event, we always start with um, the disclaimer that if you are in crisis, please don't wait for our podcast series um, to go, th- you know, to play out. If you feel like you need to talk to somebody we have this here as a resource um, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline and it's 1-800-273-82551 and that's there um, because a lot of people um, including our vets um, choose to end their own lives and that's something that uh, Mr. Thompson and I are, are both passionate about trying to do something about so if if you need to talk to somebody, if you feel like you can't wait, if you feel, you know, you're in crisis, please don't wait. That's a resource for you now. Um, does that sound sound reasonable to you, Mr. Thompson? Yes, definitely. Don't wait. Don't wait. Copy that. You know, um, if you are just tuning in, this is the first time listening to Combat Stress. This is episode number three. So go back, listen to the intro. We spell it all out there. Um, Dick takes the time and he, he it goes over an overview of the, bo- the broad points of what we're doing and we go into detail as to why we're doing it. So please access the introduction if you haven't already. And then also episode number two, Before Stress. Because as you've heard um, just from the story uh, that Dick shared, it's a cycle. And dealing with stress is, you know, healthily as what we're getting into is, you know, a process of before the stressful event, during the stressful event, and after. This is episode three, so we're in the stressful event right now in terms of how to deal with it and some coping tools, some strategies. And next episode will be after, so make sure you stay tuned in. I think it's time here just to uh, do a brief overview of what we talked about last time. So... I'm going to hand it off here, um, Dick, uh, Mr. Dick, as the internet has christened you on some of my comments. <laughs> Mr. Uh, Dick, please 
explain um, what is stress. You know, and you have a quote here that I think you want to add in. Um, take it away and, and, and lead us into that just as an overview. Okay. Um, in, in the 40s and 50s, stress was really an engineering term that talked about or, or measured the force that was put on a bridge uh, when you move something across it, so it talked about distress on the materials. But there was a, <clears throat> a guy going through medical school named Hans Selye, uh, and they got to the point in medical school where they were bringing homeless people in off the streets uh, for them to practice their diagnostic skills on, and, and then they would offer the people some treatment for things that were were wrong with them. So. Uh, Selyer at one point <clears throat> told his professor that he had noticed that everyone who came in had some of the same symptoms, regardless of what disease they might have or injuries they might have. They all have some similar symptoms, and he wondered if maybe there's a just being sick syndrome, uh, and some research should be done to look at that. Well, his professor proceeded to tell him, you're just a medical student. You're not a doctor. You don't know about this stuff. Those are questions that have to be left to doctors, not medical students. So he said that was one of the darkest days of his life when he was chastised by his professor. But as soon as he graduated medical school, he published a paper in Nature magazine uh, called the just being sick syndrome and said that when you get sick there there's a whole set of characteristics physiologically psychologically uh, that will occur because a demand is being placed on your body on your mind and when that happens when when this demand is placed on you it causes you to uh, dump adrenaline, cortisol, and about 1,200 different chemicals into your system. And Selyer started calling it stress. Mm -hmm. The stress of this, uh, non, uh, this uh, demand that's placed on you, and it doesn't matter what the stress is. Win a million dollars, lose a million dollars, get married, get divorced. It places a stress on your body, and you're going to have an increase in adrenaline, cortisol, things like that, uh, and a lot of other different effects uh, are going to occur to you uh, because of whatever the event is. And it doesn't matter really what the event is. If it places stress on your or uh, this demand on your body, you're going to end up with what he calls stress. He is known as the father of stress. So I guess um, if he hadn't come up with this, we wouldn't have any stress in the world, or at least we wouldn't know what to call it. We wouldn't call it stress. It would be something else now. So, um, But he spent his life researching uh, what happened. Uh, with, I mean, and one of the things he looked at, just for an example, is you have acids in your stomach. And if you eat a piece of meat, that meat goes into your stomach, 
and the ashes just dissolve the meat. And his question was, why does it not dissolve your stomach? Your stomach is meat. Why not the acid? Do? And then, with a little research, he found, wow, some people do experience some, you know, eroding of the stomach tissues and holes in it, uh, ulcers form from all of a sudden those those um, acids start to eat the meat in your stomach, start to eat you. And then he found that was related back to what he'd call stress. Your stress level goes up. That's one of the effects that'll come out of being stressed. So he started finding all kinds of things tied back to uh, your stress level. So anyway, that's kind of where it came from. Um, so, well, this leads us into a next point. You wrote a book, The Stress Effect, and I, I see a perfect segue here. What is the stress effect, and what does it do to us, other than the dissolve stress, our stomach? <laughs> the, <laughs> yeah, the, the stress effect, uh, the, the way I explained it in the book is it's the change in human performance, human behavior, uh, as a result of of the impact of stress on your system. So when something stresses you, or there's some event that triggers stress in your body, then things change. For example, uh, the research that we've done shows that as your stress level goes up, your IQ goes down, your EQ goes down, your ability to make effective decisions goes down. Stress up, the other three go down. So part of the stress effect is the impact that it's having on your ability to access your cognitive ability, your emotional ability, and you need both of those to be able to make effective decisions. And so, yeah, what you've done is you have found, you know, an anecdote par se to the stress effect um, in terms of uh, this concept called timing, which is what we're getting into here. It's one of the things you've identified in your book, um, and, and it's the focus and the, the structure of our podcast series here. Briefly explain for us, you know, an overview, you know, about timing. Okay. It, as, as I studied stress, you know, both while I was a, a SOG team leader uh, and and the other 20 years in, or so in the military, uh, as I studied the impact of, of stress, I also noticed that there are things that you typically go through with stress. There are things that you can do to increase your resilience before you encounter a stressful event. So before I would go on a mission in SOG, there were a lot of things that I would do with myself and with the team to get them ready for the really heavy-duty stress they were going to encounter uh, once we went on the mission. So the, there's something we call the seven best practices that we've talked about in, in the others to help you build your stress resilience up. The higher your stress resilience when you encounter a stressor, the easier it is for you to deal with it and manage it. If your stress level is low when you uh, stress resilience is low when you encounter it. It doesn't take much stress 
to push you over the edge. I mean, if we think back to when COVID first started uh, here in the U.S., the first week there were people who freaked out because they were afraid they were not going to be able to get toilet paper. Their stress level or stress resilience level was so low that the thought of not getting toilet paper just did them in. And there were other people who had much higher stress resilience levels who just said, you know, they'll make more. We'll get more. <laughs> If if we if we if we can't get toilet paper, there are other things we can use. You know, the world, most of the world has survived without toilet paper for a long time, and I'm sure you know we can get through a few weeks or a few months without it. Uh, <clears throat> so, depending on where your stress resilience level is, you have a whole different perspective on on things that are happening. So uh, an event like not getting toilet paper uh, is one thing, and it goes away relatively quickly. <clears throat> but we want to keep your stress resilience up so that when you do find something that's stressful, and I think most people, if you thought about COVID, uh, there have been some times in the last 18 months or so, uh, and maybe it's now, that you found somewhat stressful. You know, uh, do I take the vaccine or not? If I take the vaccine, will it work? You know, will I get COVID? If I get it, will I die? And on and on. Right. Do I take the booster shot? Um, all of these things keep popping up. So when I talk about timing, you have to look at what are the event that you're about to run into. So if it's just I can't get toilet paper and that's over relatively quickly, we kind of, we place those kinds of things in acute stress. You know, I'm in a minor car accident this afternoon. Well, I mean, I didn't die. I'm I'm over it now. I just have to deal with the insurance. But you know, it's contained in a fairly short period of of time. Uh, and during the accident itself, as I'm trying to maneuver or figure out how to maneuver or what to do. Um, I have to make some decisions I have to try to think uh, in a very short period of time. But if I look at something like COVID, COVID is a, a, a chronic stressor because it just keeps going. I mean, this thing's been going on for 18 months or so. I mean, it's there every day. Every day I have to be concerned about people I encounter do I go to the grocery store? Do I wear a mask? Do I get the shot? And it just keeps going and going. So every day I'm still exposed to this same general stressor. Uh, and, and kind of like we were talking a few minutes ago with the SOG missions, I know when I come back from a SOG mission, I'm going right into preparation to go back out and do it again. So for a year, you know, it was just a cycle over and every day. Uh, plus, the environment that I was in, uh, it wasn't just if I went on a mission that I had to worry about dying. I mean, rockets, mortars, and things came into the compound day and night. Yeah. You never knew when you were going to be in the building that a rocket came through your roof and took you out. So the chances of being killed was constant. 
Uh, so you're always on, and your body is always pumping those chemicals in, uh, and you know it starts to harm your whole system across time, and it makes it <clears throat> more difficult to let go of it when you leave that environment. And if you think about the vets that we had, the whole time they were in Afghanistan, they had to worry about, uh, you know, a friendly, so to speak, actually shooting their people inside the, the safe areas. They had to worry about getting shot when they went out or IEDs or rockets or whatever. There was always something that was out there trying to get them that kept their stress level up. So, and it and it makes it tough when you come back. So, in regards to timing, in our structure here, last time we spoke about, um, you know, the concept of stress resilience, and the last episode was devoted to uh, what you can do to build your stress resilience, and what we we introduced a concept of yours um, called arsenal. Quickly just walk us through that as an overview of what we talked about last time to catch folks up. Okay, the the arsenal is a, there's a questionnaire that measures uh, where you are on what we found to be the seven best practices to build stress resilience. So <clears throat> so we have a model, uh, awareness is, is part of it. So if you think about the letters in arsenal, they represent one of the best practices. It's an acronym. It's an acronym. So, you know, being aware of what's going on with you and around around you, uh, you you need to get your rest, you need to have a support group, you need to eat the right foods, you need to get exercise, you need uh, to have the right attitude, you need to have... Um, you know, constantly be learning things, keeping your brain sharp. <clears throat> so there, there are seven best practices that you can use. And if you if you take the assessment, it shows you where or snapshot of where you are today on all seven of those. You could think about it from the perspective of life balance. So if I'm balanced on these seven best practices, my life is probably pretty well in balance, and. I have enough stress resilience now to be able to to fight off some pretty strong stressors when they come. So getting ready for it, the before part is building that stress resilience so that when you get to where we are today and start talking about what do you do uh, once the stress starts, and that's where uh, I want you to think about we have the acute stress, the short term, you know, events that happen, and then we have the chronic stress as something that's going to go on across time. Gotcha. Uh, and and there, there are ways to, to begin to deal with those. Gotcha. So if folks haven't done it already, uh, it's the last time I'm going to say it for this episode, but you really got to go back and listen to episode number two of Combat Stress, and that's going to walk you through Arsenal. It's awareness, rest, support, exercise, nutrition, attitude, learning, and it circles back to awareness. And that was really helpful for me because, you know, we're talking about it and I'm thinking, yeah, you know, I'm doing this and I'm doing that, but you know, I didn't get enough sleep the other day. And geez, that really did impact not only the next day, but then the day afterwards. And, you know, I, I, I really need to look up this question I have. I need to learn 
about, you know, how I can be better when I'm doing my workout or when I'm preparing my meals and it all feeds in. Um, You know, we've already gone into it here, but the meat and potatoes of this episode, the during the stressful event episode, um, really revolves around, you know, the definition here of two different kinds of stressful events, acute versus chronic and you have gotten into it, um, I just want you just to plain right now, uh, define for the people, uh, you know, acute versus chronic and which one, which, which means what, so that we will be returning to this just so that we have a concrete, you've you've mentioned it. I just want a concrete definition out there so that people can stand upon that as we do a deep dive into it later. Okay. Think about acute, acute as being, uh, a very specific short-term stressor, something that, that happens to you and for the most part is gone uh, by later today. Or it might drag in to tomorrow, but for the most part, it's, it's a single event that's happening, whereas chronic is something more like the stress you're getting from COVID, where it goes on day after day, week after week, month after month, and it just drags on, and every day, uh, you're feeling the stress coming from that chronic stressor. Uh, it could be uh, you have a, uh, aging parents, and and they're getting to the point where they need help. So you're having to, to get some health care providers to help out with them. Uh, it's starting to cost you money. It's taking a lot of your time. Uh, you're stressed every day because you see them going downhill and you know this is not something where you get better I mean you're they're on a a path uh, and it's very stressful to you every time you see them and it just keeps going on and on Um, so or, or you may have someone else in your family that has some other disease or something and you you sit you live with it every day maybe they've got diabetes they've got something that it's stress it's there with you every day and you have to figure out how are you going to live with it what are some things you can do so let me just touch on a a couple quick things Uh, for uh, acute actions something that's, that's happening right now one is continue to breathe because mm-hmm. people start breathing sometimes they just stop you know, there's an accident yes. there's something traumatic that happens and and they don't breathe i mean so you need to breathe you need to be able to focus on what's really going on here uh one of our primitive uh survival techniques is to freeze yes. don't move if i don't move uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex can't see me. He reacts to movement. If I move, he'll know where I am. Uh, But that doesn't work in most of our situations that we have right now. I need to, excuse me, keep moving. Excuse me. I also need to think about, I might need to stop, take a breath, think, and then take an action rather than sometimes we just do knee-jerk reactions something happens we just act and we don't think 
we don't think about what it is that we're going to do. We just do it. And then we realize, ah, I didn't do the right thing. So sometimes, and, and there may be some cases where you don't have the option, but if you have the option to just stop for a second, take a deep breath and say, okay, what do I need to do? Okay, I'm going to do it. Uh, so for five seconds or so there, you're going through a process of figuring out what you're going to do. You've made sure you've got some air into your system. you got some oxygen in your system to, to help you be able to think yes. when the time comes, uh, to help you be able to think more logically when the time comes, uh, and then, you know, pick this behavior and I'm going to execute it, you know. Um, my, my mother has fallen uh, and, and landed on, you know, a hardwood floor. And she looks like she's really hurt, and she's in a lot of pain. Um, so, okay. I take a deep breath. I can see what she's doing. I see what she's holding. Uh, it's possible she might have broken her hip. I need to be calling 911. There's some things I need to do because I've already thought about this. In the before part, I put together a plan. If she falls, what do I do? Who do I call? Uh, do I know my address so I can tell, you know, the ambulance where to come or the 911 operator where I am? I might have already uh, what I refer to as, as a, a performance card, uh, a little card where you've got some things on it. Uh, and in my wife's mother's house, she requires 24-7, uh, you know, help. On the refrigerator, we have a big sign uh, about strokes. What do you look for to help determine if, if she's had a stroke? So the little key words are there, things for you to look for. Because uh, so, if she's had a stroke, she needs to get to the hospital as soon as possible. So you have some little... Uh, performance cards like that that you can carry around with you where you've already thought about this is what I what I'm going to do and when the event happens you whip it out of your pocket because you might be a little stressed right now when you're seeing her in pain and everything you pull the card out okay I do this I do this I do this and you're doing it while you're comforting her talking to her and that's on your little card uh, so there could be a, a several different things like that that you've already thought through uh, and have on your card. So make all the decisions before the stressful event that you can make. Mm -hmm. Because during the stressful event, it's more difficult to make yes. decisions. Think through it now, put them on your card, and then you'll be able to perform much better uh, during the stressful event. And I think the pre-planning to you know a sudden event key i keep coming back and i'm not saying it's it's more important i just keep coming back to um the moment where you take a deep breath and try to detach from the situation um you know we're both fans of jocko jocko podcast he says detach before you make a, a good before you make a decision you have to detach from the situation get your head up and look around um, you know, I'm not, 
I have I have not done anything compared to the life threatening things that our veterans have done. Um, for a long time, I was a lifeguard. It was like my first real job. I worked for the city and I was a lifeguard, and I did it for a long time. Um, but eventually, but but the point I the, what comes up for me is that when we were trained um, as first responders for dealing with something, the first thing we did was assess the situation. <clears throat> Because you could, if you don't think and you just react, if there's blood on the ground and this person has a bloodborne pathogen, you just exposed yourself. If there's still something near the injured person that could hurt you, now you're a casualty. And especially when you're dealing with water, you know you you want to you want to not be a second person who needs to get rescued, um, or you know nearby the water source. Um, that but for me that key event of just taking a minute and remembering that you have resources at your disposal because when you're real stressed you do not make good decisions and we we've established that you have established that um, with your expertise and be it you know mom just fell a patron of the pool just tripped and broke their leg and now there's a bone sticking out that's pretty stressful especially when you're like 17 <laughs> working your first job and they're right by your guard stand so they're your immediate responsibility you need to detach for a second so you can make a good decision so i um i, I want to say you know there's a lot to be done to prepare but if you don't detach you won't be able to utilize those tools and those tools you've mentioned um drills you've practiced when you were in sog you guys are training all the time like you mentioned with blackjack you you guys were just training all the time you wanted to be active all the time. That op tempo was really high. But, you know, there even when, quote, unquote, downtime, you are preparing for that event. So when it does happen, you know, you're ready. But for me, what really, what really gets me is that crucial moment where your stress hits. And I asked you during your story, I said, hey, what did it feel like in your body when you started to get stressed? Because sometimes it's hard to know. And just detach in that moment. Well, I'm stressed right now. And then as soon as you think about that, you can remember, ooh, I'm not going to be making the best decisions. I need to take a breath. I need to detach for a second. This could be in work. This could be an emergency. We all experience stress. So that's something that really resonates with me um, in terms of your overview there for, for acute an acute stressful event. Okay. Let's move it into uh, chronic. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a little different because now you have to keep doing things yeah. across a long period of of time, um, and and during that period of time there'll be peaks and valleys of how stressful the events are and the kinds of things that you have to do. So now it's it's not so much take a breath. I have to keep breathing for a long time now. <clears throat> and being able to use the box breathing and the different things that we talked about on breathing earlier helps keep you so that uh, you can respond properly. You've got to focus on a situation over a much longer period of time. And you've got to manage the fear. Mm-hmm. It's not managing fear for a few minutes. Uh, now it's mani- <clears throat> managing the fear every day because with the long, long-term chronic stressors, 
uh, something could happen to me or to my loved ones every day, every night. So I, I, I've got that there and I have to be able uh, to maintain it. I have to keep working on my resilience um, best practices. And, and just let me go back to COVID. You might find this interesting. One of the things that, that I noticed um, early on with COVID was when you would see celebrities uh, on TV, for example, I noticed that, uh, particularly with, with the women, their hair continued to get longer. And, and for the first few months of COVID, not only did their hair get longer and unstyled and uncolored, so now you're seeing gray or different things come out, no makeup, and you know, trying I think to some degree trying to send a message, I'm just like you. You know, I'm I'm in COVID just like you. I can't go to my hairstylist and get my hair done, you know, so my hair's just growing longer. I can't go to my makeup specialist and get my makeup on. I'm just like you. Uh and it's interesting because even now, eighteen so months later, it's amazing how many uh, people you see, uh, women in this case, with much longer hair than they've ever worn in their career. Uh, people in general, if you just look at the actress and actresses uh, on TV shows, for example, a lot of them have experienced not just what was called early on the COVID-15. COVID-15 meaning I've gained 15 pounds since... COVID started, some of them are, are more like the, the COVID-30 or COVID-40. I saw one the other night on a show that I, I used to watch, and I, I this guy, I mean, he's a big guy anyway, but he had also put on, you know, quite a bit of weight, um, and, and, you know, it's very common during the uh, situations like we're in with COVID for people. Uh, to not do their nutrition best practice very well and they gain weight. They don't do their exercise like they were doing before. And so that, you know, uh, combines with, with the nutrition that they're not doing and, and they put on weight. Um, but it's also pushing them down in terms of their stress yeah. resilience. So yeah. you need, you got to maintain, you know, those seven best practices. Yeah. Uh, you need to connect with other people. The support group is very important to you. Uh, and, you know, COVID kind of separated everyone, said you need to stay home, stay away from people, put on a mask, you can't see people now. But, you know, you still have to find ways to connect. You still have to sleep, you have to rest, because that's very important when you're in stressful situations to, to get adequate uh, rest um, you have to not watch too much news the more of the you know the news channels that you go watch and listen to all of the stuff that's going on uh, take a covid booster don't take a covid booster you know on and on and on uh, with a, 
you've got to moderate that some and at least limit yourself maybe to 15 minutes a day now you can't just sit in front of the tv and watch all of the news because for the most part it's not news it's people just speculating just sharing their opinion with you um <coughs> excuse me and you know like i said get with your support group that's part of your best practices you guys talk talk over the phone whatever you have to do uh, you should have some performance cards also uh, for for chronic um, stress because there are a lot of different things that are going to happen to you and your loved ones across time. So be prepared. Uh, someone may get COVID. What are you going to do yeah. when they call you and tell you they've they've got COVID? You know, if you're not careful, you overreact to that because it's going to be you're going to have that acute stressor all of a sudden on top of all the stress you already have so having some cards having already talked about it already made those before plans makes you able to deal with it better during the uh, chronic part of the stress mm -hmm. you might you might decide uh, that you maybe should explore at least the possibility of getting some mental health help and that it's <clears throat> it's okay to do that i have a, uh, a quite a few friends who are psychologists who you know do therapy they've been totally overwhelmed uh with with people coming to them and and that's good they need to come to them uh, <clears throat> and get some help uh, the most common reaction to stress is denial mm -hmm. you okay i'm fine you sure you're okay? I'm great. You don't look okay. I feel great. You just deny, deny, deny. You, yeah. If there's an issue, you need to go talk to someone uh, and get some help. Uh, don't overwork. If you're working from home, a remote worker, one of the things that people discovered was uh, when you work remotely, all of the cues, all of the workday cues are gone. You don't have to be at the office at 8.30 or whatever. You don't leave at 5 o'clock. You don't have these cues. And you end up working longer and later into the evening. You end up not taking breaks during the day. Uh, and there are just all kinds of things that happen that run your stress up even more. Um, you can't stay on, in the high alert situation all the time. Uh, and, you, and you can't play what if. Uh, what if I go to the grocery store and there's someone in there with COVID? What if I go to the grocery store and I hear someone cough? What if I pick up something someone else has picked up? Um, you know, do I take the vaccine? Not take it. Do I take the booster? Not take it. Yeah. All of these things just run your stress level up even more. Um, recognize your limits. You know, what can you do? Uh, and if your limits are starting to come down because you're not exercising, you're not sleeping, you're not eating right, you're not using your support group, you're not being aware of what's going on, you need to get back engaged again slowly. You can't go from, uh, you know, you used to run 15 miles a day. You haven't run in 18 months. You can't jump out there this afternoon and try to run 15 miles. You got to start over and gradually work yourself back up. 
or whatever your exercise program is, but you know, get on that. Uh, and there are a lot of things that you can do during the, the stress to help manage it and keep it down and particularly uh, keep the fear managed. Don't let it take over. It's, having fear is, is good. You need to have some fear. There's some things you shouldn't do. Uh, respect it. I know it's there, but don't let it drive your whole life or you won't do anything. You'll go sit in the corner uh, and be depressed and not do anything. My, uh, my take here in terms of acute versus chronic is chronic is over a longer term. It's something you need to really continue to maintain you know, you need to work on your stress resilience. You need to maintain awareness as you work through that over that longer period of time. So say uh, in, 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 um, in SOG verbiage, your chronic um, stressor that you're dealing with is the mission. The acute stressor is the NVA that just jumped out in front of you on the trail. And you have to deal with that now. Right. Um, just to kind of break it down, does that sound correct? Yeah. I mean, it, within a chronic stressor of, of a SOG mission or just being in SOG, you're going to have those acute yeah. stressors pop up. Yeah, you can pull uh, it out to my tour in Vietnam is the chronic stressor. And then there's acute stressors of each mission. And then within that, you know, so I'm seeing... Yeah potential for it to be kind of a, a kaleidoscoping expanding effect yeah and you know one thing with uh, with SOG was <clears throat> most of the operators they knew that if they didn't get killed or shot up badly they were they were going to be there you know for the for the tour so I need to be doing things all the time yeah. that's preparing me to be able to resist a stressor or deal with the, these acute stressors that I'm going to run into that, that prepares me, um, you know, to, to get notified this afternoon, you know, that John was killed this morning. Yeah. And John, you know, is my best friend, and now he's gone. I need to be prepared for those things to happen. Yeah. Um, you know, I was told before I got there, don't make friends with anyone. Mm. Yeah, because it's so much more difficult when they get killed. You can't go out and have a battle buddy and fight and do all this kind of stuff without getting attached and, and having some friendships. But uh, even if they're not people who were on your team, I mean, when you're having memorial services every week, you know, for the people who are missing in action or killed in action, uh, you know, you have to be prepared for those too. That Those are acute stressors you're going to have almost on a weekly basis, you know, when you were in SOG because so many people were getting killed. Um, you know, um, to even out the rather extreme example of SOG, um, you know, a lot of people who might be listening to this, um, maybe they're in the military 
and they they didn't experience something to that degree of you know ferocious combat and extended stress or people such as myself who are you know civilian and have still kind of dealt with the effects of the stress effect um you know to to share and as as personally as you know i feel comfortable getting into in front of you know a wide audience um when i was 18 um somebody that i really loved um got got diagnosed with serious serious illness it was my mom and she got diagnosed with a very serious form of cancer and my friends had just moved away this is not a sorry me story this is not it. I'm pre- preface that. But this was right after we had graduated high school. So all my friends had gone out of state. I was staying where I was to go to school locally. And my mom was really sick. And uh, thank God she got better. Thank God she's in remission. But um, shortly after that, um, another serious stressor happened. Um, my my parents divorced. They uh, the The marriage, I don't think, was was seriously tested by my mom's illness and after that I got sick I was hospitalized Um, again this is not a sorry me story Um, I'm doing very well now but for a period there for years it was one thing after another and the series of acute stressors and I mean some things like my mom being sick that was a year of treatment and each treatment you know the person you're with um, it doesn't feel good for a couple days because that's some pretty serious drugs they're being given and uh, you know that that series of chronic stress punctuated by acute stressors was pretty serious I really wish I had what we are talking about now back then because I did not make the best decisions about how to handle my stress I did not. And I'm very, very happy and I'm very lucky that I had such a strong support system and uh, of people who really cared about me. I was able to, to get better and, you know, here I am. I'm very, you know, proud of what I'm doing now. I wouldn't be talking with you now if I hadn't have gotten better. But I just wanted to share that um, because if anybody's listening who feels like, well, I wasn't in SOG. You know, what's my experience? I just wanted to put that out there. And it's not easy, but we all experience stress. And coming from a stress expert, such as yourself, we all experience stress. So these tools are applicable to all of us, everybody moving forward. So I just wanted to put that in there. Chronic stress, really, it sounds to me like one of your Ironman competitions. You're in it for the long haul. I mean, and you're you're doing what you can. It's like a marathon, and you're doing what you can you can to take care of your needs in the moment, so that you can reach the finish line. Is that does that sound kind of coming back on track? Does that kind of sound like a succinct definition? Well, yeah, and an Ironman race is very stressful mentally, physically. In fact, I tell the people that that I coach that, and I got this from my coach, was that Ironman uh, 
is 50% physical, 90% mental. And I realize those don't add up, but it's, it's mental. And then the other part about it is, I mean, when, when the race starts, it's a long day. But before you get to the race, for a year or so, you, you've been working basically a, a, another 40-hour-a-week job training, getting ready for this thing. It's unbelievable the amount of training that you're doing to get ready so that you can do one event right after another out there on, on race day. So the number of hours that you spend on the bike, the hours you spend swimming every week, the hours, and, you know, I mean, you're running. I mean, as, as you start getting close to time, you're, you're running, you know, 60 miles or, or so a week. You're swimming 10 miles a week. You're biking 200 miles a week, you know, and then all the other the strength exercises and everything else that go in there with it. And it's just day after day after day. Um, so, yeah, it's very stressful. But it helps you get through, you know, the actual event. And, and that's, you know, another reason that I chose to do Ironman competitions was because it, it gives me an opportunity to try different techniques your nutrition has to be dialed in exactly. If you don't have your nutrition nailed down, you can't make it through the race. You'll run out of energy or cramp or whatever. Uh, every, every component of it, you have to have dialed in. So it, it gives me an opportunity to say, what can I do to manage the stress you know, for this part of it? What about this part? Oh, geez, the temperature is going to be in the 90s. Normally it's in the 80s. Now it's in the 90s. What does that do to all of the events? It slows everything down. And, and you know, the temperature slows your run, your bike, and everything down. But it also means you've got to be in the heat longer now because it slowed you down, which, you know, you get in a downward spiral there. So... Um, but yeah, it's it's like you were saying the things you had to go through. It stress is stress. It doesn't matter if it's a SOG mission, or or you know it, it's a an illness that a loved one has or something. It doesn't matter. It has the same impact on you, your mind, your body, uh, the people around you. You know, it's just the trigger event is you know something else and, and a lot of times people think well you know you're not a fireman so you don't understand stress I understand stress you know just like the SWAT team guy he thinks you don't understand stress the military guy thinks you don't understand stress the person who whose mother's been ill thinks you don't understand stress but the stress is still there the physiological psychological part is still there happening by the event that's triggered it this is so, so important this is so important for people to hear i wish my younger self could have heard it 
um, I know that our society has a way of, uh, you know, telling us all to kind of like buck up and put on a face. And to a degree, you know, that's real necessary. But you said a big part of everybody, um, or excuse me, a big uh, problem for a lot of people is denial of the fact that they're in stress. I call this the John Wayne effect because I was I grew up on John Wayne and I was the kid in the backyard on Iwo Jima with my wooden Tommy gun. And I was the kid in the backyard with my stick. That was my Winchester playing Cowboys and Indians because I grew up on John Wayne. And what does the Duke do when he's stressed? Well, he has a drink or he has a smoke or, you know, he he's never stressed. He's the one. Well, that's not reality. And I think a lot of people, myself included, I know this personally, you, you're, you don't want to appear anything but. So what you do immediately is say, oh, I'm fine. I'm not stressed. Me, I'm not stressed. This guy over here, you know, he ran SOG missions. <laughs> what I'm doing is nothing. You know, so I think it's important for, to hear that and understand that the John Wayne effect is universal. And what you just said is that everybody experiences stress and it's okay. It's part of our biology. We can't move away from it. It's a good thing because it helps us deal with day to day. There are some things that should be stressed. You know, I do interviews. Part of my job now is I, I help do conduct interviews. And if somebody's super relaxed in the interview and they're chewing gum and flicking their hair and just, you know, they're not a little on, you can tell they're not really invested they're not stressed a little bit. It's like, do they really want it? So, but handling that stress, that's the tools that we're working through here. And hopefully some of us listening who might have a little bit of the John Wayne effect might be able to hear, it's okay. We all experience stress. And these are the tools through which we can all be a little bit better. Yeah, so today we're talking about what do you do during the stress? We're all going to have stress at some point. Um, you know, every everyone has to fight their own war. And war is different for everyone. But we, we're all out there every day. Uh, and, and we encounter stressors that we have to deal with. And we can prepare ourselves to do better to be more effective to have more resilience to be able to uh, handle more stress if we have to uh, but we have to work on it it's something we have to work on and we practice and do things before so that during the stress we can you know execute the way we need to and then we need to be able to take care of ourselves after the event there are things we need to do uh, and a lot of people think well it's over now I don't have to do anything else it's not over it's still there and I when I when I do the decision-making uh, training under stress uh, a lot of times before COVID we could have people in the classroom and I would put someone through kind of a stressful event uh, and we would be tracking it on the screen behind him. The rest of the people in the class could see 
what his stress level was doing on the screen because we've got him wired up. And then once he completed his mission, then we would ask questions like, so tell me, tell me what happened. Tell me what you noticed. And what the people would see that could see the screen, they would watch his stress level start to go right back up to where it was as he started reliving what had just happened to him his stress went right back up to where it was your mind doesn't know the difference between you know fantasy and reality so what happens is when you go back and start thinking about that stressful event your stress goes right back up and and that's what happens a lot of times with PTSD and, and some of the, the other uh, uh, effects of stress is keep reliving them. We can't turn them loose. So what you do after the stress can help you get a better grip on that and be able to manage it better. Yeah. So, you know, when we talk in the, in the next uh, podcast, we'll be talking about what are some, what are some things I can use to help me manage the stress that I've already had better. How can I deal with that better now? There are techniques that I need to do, and the sooner I do them, the better off I'll be. And I, and I just give you a hint. Like when, when I came back to the States from SOG, uh, I went right into a ranger unit. So I went right into a unit where everybody you know, had combat experience and all this kind of stuff and we're doing things. I had people I could talk to who knew what I was talking about. They had experienced it. So having a support group like that uh, helped me to be able to to manage uh, and mitigate, you know, some of the stress that I was still carrying around with me. So we'll talk about techniques like that uh, in the next session. What can you do? I mean, if you, you might have been involved in a car accident last week and almost died. How do you deal with that? That's going to come back over and over. So what can you do to get a handle on that uh, so that you manage it going forward? It doesn't become an issue for you. Copy that. So uh, this is bringing us to the conclusion of episode number three. This is the During Stress episode of our four-part series. Um, we've had an introduction um, before. We, we talked about before stress. This is the During Stress episode. And next, we'll be talking about after stress. And just to recap today, um, we defined acute versus chronic stressors, the kind of stress you can experience um, during a stressful event. And we talked about the things you can do to help work through each one of those because they are different. And they have a slightly, they have a different uh, toolbox for each one, I'll call it. And uh, next episode, as you said, we're going to be getting into it. Well, after the stress is after the stressor has passed, the stressful event has passed, the stress itself can linger on. So, what are some tools we can do? I kind of think about these episodes like toolkits, and each one has a different label on it, before, during, and after. And then inside the subsect, you know, acute versus chronic. But 
you know, hopefully these tools will be able to help some people. It certainly helped me. So, um, it's just time to say again, thank you, Mr. Dick Thompson, for your wisdom, for your experience, and you coming on and giving us your time today. This is awesome. Thank you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to share some thoughts. So I'm looking forward to the next time. And, you know, stay safe. And, you know, respect fear, but don't let it run your life. I'm Dick Thompson, and we would uh, really like to hear any questions that you might have had uh, based on today's presentation. So if you could submit those, we'll get answers for you. You can submit those questions by commenting on the YouTube video that you just watched, or you can email me directly. My email is at themodernmilitaryhistory at gmail.com. All one word, no capitals, no funny letters. We look forward to it. We'll be doing a question and answer with Mr. Dick Thompson after we get enough questions uh, put together here. So please, if something came up for you that you would like to know more about, you'd like to ask Mr. Thompson about relating to these stress podcast episodes, please ask, and we'll include it in our question and answer moving forwards. Thank you.